0: Legends once told of a podcast lost now in the sea of time. These ancient recordings spoke of games and the arcane art of HTML5. Today, Jeff Blair and Matt Hackett bring these words back to life. It is Lostcast, and may your ears receive it. Welcome to Lostcast, episode 38. I'm Matt Hackett i'm jeff blair so i just got back from a three-day stint in the la area the, the laria Valeria? sounds kind of like sounds like malaria which is kind of gross i don't think that's gonna stick no one's gonna call it laria but yeah, yeah. The, i was in the la area yeah my uh wife andrea is moving uh or is transferring with disney so she currently works out of the Palo. Uh, alto office uh, up here in the california bay area and she's transferring down to the glendale office in the la ish area so uh we were down there looking at apartments and we found a place in north hollywood so i'll be moving next month
1: and that'd be cool because then
0: ldg will have a presence in la as well no we're going to dissolve the company I All right. to, did I not tell you about that? I meant to mention it. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
0: No, that'll be cool because L.A. is like—I uh I mean, they both both areas have really thriving and pretty big video game scenes, which is cool. But L.A. I think is a little—it's uh kind of more triple A-ish. Like San Francisco is probably better known for indies. Like that's where Derek Yu is. That's where Jonathan Blow is. And then. That's where a lot of casual and mobile stuff is, like, you know, Zynga and, um, is that where Kicksai is? I'm probably making it up now, but... Casual Yeah, LA, Connect. Casual, yeah, casual Connect is up there. Um, I mean, GDC is actually in San Francisco, but uh, the LA area has a lot of, uh, like, who I can't think of any off the top of my head, but there's a bunch of, like, bigger name studios down there.
1: That's actually the reason that uh, Yahoo opened an office in Santa Monica. Right, initially. yeah. Actually. Uh, just because, you know, that that's like the media hub. right. And so initially, uh, I was working on Yahoo Games, and that's where that was. And sports and movies and other teams like that were down there.
0: Right. So that'll be cool because you can be up here and you can interface with people like Lude because their office, I mean, they've got an office in Spain, of course, but they've also got an office in San Francisco. And then like, I can start to try to network with people down in the L.A. area.
1: I'm going to move to Spain.
0: You should move to Spain. You go back home. That's right. Did did our listeners know that you are from Spain? I am not from
1: Spain. That you're. I live in Spain.
0: You're essentially Spanish.
1: My brother's essentially Spanish. He was born there.
0: He was born in Spain. He was. yeah. So is he a U.S. citizen?
1: He is. Yeah. So he was born on a military base in Spain. So.
0: I see.
1: Technically, huh. he's a U.S. citizen.
0: So why don't we do uh, this Lost Cast in Spanish?
1: Hola. Como estás? Donde Lost Cast? <laughs>
0: Man, that, that would be the uh, the, <laughs> the lost cast with the fewest number of words in it. <laughs> I, would, I would be basically saying the same 10 words over and over. Because that's about how many Spanish words I know.
1: It's pretty sad, actually. I lived in San Diego for a number of years, uh, so I should really know Spanish better than I do.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Idiot. Jeez. You're, you're so dumb.
1: Well, I worked with a lot of <laughs> Spanish-speaking people. Really? Uh, in my youth, yeah. But huh. I, just, I didn't assimilate very well.
0: Well, you were probably past the age where your brain just, like, just like sucks up all that stuff like a sponge, you know?
1: I'm terrible at language in general.
0: But, I mean, when you're a kid, when you're like, what is it? I forget the age range, but, like, between three and eight or something, your brain is just like, got it, stored. You know, it's like, it puts it in your long-term memory, it writes it to disk, but then right. once you reach a certain threshold, your brain's like, language, what? No, 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 we mastered that. I want to learn other things now.
1: Adult things. I think my, things. Long- <laughs> my long-term memory is faulty now. Yeah, it goes in the short term, and then yeah.
0: I I joke with uh, my my wife because she breaks my balls a lot about me forgetting things, and I'm like, look that that area of memory's been reallocated for JavaScript and game design. <laughs> like there's uh it's been overwritten, you know. Right. You're Shredded fine out of data of
1: space, and what you just said wasn't important. Exactly, It's
0: <laughs> deprioritized. Yeah. So, um, this episode is the first one where we're going to talk a lot about uh, Cryptrun and the work we did on it last week, and this episode is going to be paired with the build that's going to go out uh, on the same day. So, today's Monday, but tomorrow's Tuesday, and we're going to publish this Cryptrun episode and then also the build. We're going to send that out to the... uh, Last I checked, it was about 80 people who have signed up for the uh, alpha. Awesome. So, that's cool. Um,
1: Actually, I just sent out the builds to the Humble store today, right before this
0: Oh yeah. cast. So hopefully that'll only have a day turnaround or else we're filthy liars. Filthy liars. So um,
1: I think that what we'll do, though, is if it doesn't, if that doesn't work, we'll just send some Dropbox links or whatever. We'll host sure. it somewhere for people to download.
0: Yeah, and then uh, we'll just learn from that and then we'll be able to send out... Like, we'll send the build to Humble earlier if we find out that it takes more time. Because they're, they're probably getting swamped right now.
1: I'm sure, yeah. Just they're, in general. they blowing up these days, so.
0: Yeah. Um, so what else are we going to talk? Oh, we're also going to talk about uh, Browserify and a little bit about Gen, our engine, <laughs> HTML5 engine, and then uh, more Cryptrun. So yeah, pretty, pretty much our, our podcast for the next several months are going to be uh, all Crypt run all the time, but we'll try Yay. to keep it interesting and talk about other stuff as well.
1: That's just like our lives, all Crypt Run all the time for three Pretty months. Pretty
0: much. I'm actually wearing a Crypt Run short shirt at the moment.
1: I see that. Yeah. So, it's quite a nice shirt you got there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It makes me want to pre-order Crypt Run. For I know, years right? Off.
0: Yeah. I wore it at the, when I was at the airport today, and there was like hundreds of people saw me just by being in an airport. And I wonder what the conversion rate was. <laughs>
1: Yeah. <laughs> i'm guessing pretty pretty low oh yeah oh yeah <laughs>
0: if, if even one person saw the website and actually like hey i should go to that url i would i would be really shocked to be honest yeah but, hey marketing
1: like, so, Look at that douche wearing that shirt i'm definitely not going to that website <laughs>
0: i'll put i'll add that to my uh blacklist
1: <laughs> exactly so um oh good so what's going on in the in the alpha this week yeah, uh, that's
0: actually what I was gonna say. Uh, so I, I've been posting blogs once in a while uh, about like, hey, here's uh, here's the current alpha, or no, not the, not the current alpha, but like here's the change log since the last alpha, right? And um, right. yeah, so but this time's gonna be a little different because it's like we're gonna talk about it. We're also gonna post a blog um, outlining the a little bit more about the details, and then. Um, we're also going to be sending the build out, so it's like as you could almost play the game. Uh, actually, you could you could play the game while we're talking about what's new.
1: Yeah. Um, so about change logs in general, I feel like uh, we should probably take a more curated approach to change logs, just because every little commit is not that interesting. We should probably just highlight the big features and big bug fixes, and maybe like gameplay balancing things that people like. You know uh, what we used to do on other teams I've been on is for change logs, you kind of like uh, curate the change log and and make like a more customer facing version
0: sure so i'll explain uh why i just kind of copy paste the changelog is because it's easy oh yeah i know why you did it i'm always looking for (laughs) byproducts we can get out of the work that we're doing and things we can be noisy about that might be interesting and so that's one of them is just dump the log post it on the blog and uh pretty much just hope people find it interesting it's pretty much our strategy for all things
1: well, maybe the, we should go the inverse route and just try to make better commit log messages.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, that's what I should have said. That would have been a real zinger. It would have been. Maybe. Here, let's go. Can we go back in time? Here. Can I rewind? I could rewind post-edit. <laughs> I can make myself sound <laughs> really could. smart post-edit. Yeah. <laughs> Except
1: for you're the one with commit messages like, shit.
2: Yeah.
0: Well, yeah. I messed up the merging a lot. I have this problem right now where like I'll have a bunch of changes uh, ready to go and then you will commit some stuff. So I, I guess what I should do is I should stash and then pull and then yes. pop the stash. That's then exactly my changes are applied. Yeah, I just... I don't know why I don't do that. Laziness? Yep. Incompetence?
1: Probably. Both of the above? All, all of the above. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. Uh, merging is kind of a pain in the butt sometimes, but that's the way I do it. I stash and then I pull. So basically every time before I commit, I well, I pull before I commit, and if I see that you've made changes, then I stash then I pull. Then I pop. Then I commit.
0: And then you write some assembly.
1: Right. (laughs) I peek and I poke. (laughs) And I mem copy. So um, the last... I I
0: don't know how much we should talk about because, let's see, on the blog, um, the last just changelog dump was version 152. And we went up to 181. And then we're bumping it to 010. So there's like... I guess we could talk. I mean, there's a solid page of all the stuff we've added just since the last blog. Um, so how far back do you want to go?
1: Well, let's just go over starting at like what was it, 151 or something?
0: Yeah. Uh, 152. Uh,
1: so let's see. We did a big sound update. Uh, I think Josh made a bunch of new music, or he revamped the music that was there.
0: Yeah, the the sound effects for this are uh, are going to be awesome. I'm really excited because um, Joshua hasn't done any new sounds for a while. I uh, because he already had created a, a bunch of sounds for some of our other games, so we were just kind of reusing, and uh, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, he he, uh, it's not his favorite thing. I, I don't think he like hates it or anything, but you know, I think he'd prefer to spend as much of his time as possible composing music because that's what his true passion is. You know. so uh this this project was a little different though because it was like well if we get funded then we can afford to actually pay you and then like that's that's a great motivator for something you don't really want to do is (laughs) if you can get paid to do it sometimes it's
1: the only motivator for something you don't want to do exactly
0: (laughs) so uh yeah he's been making brand new sound effects and uh, i'm really liking it a lot he's been tweaking them and um i really love the uh the gold treasure pickup sound
1: yeah they're all pretty good i've been really enjoying the new sounds
0: yeah and he also went through and uh he's taken this is like a third intera- iteration on the music and uh what i mean is just like the style like
1: Man. yeah go ahead the, they all sound really good the title screen i think sounds excellent the cemetery sounds a lot better
0: yeah my favorite really is so. the crypt
1: i don't think i've heard the new crypt yet
0: i love it it's really catchy that makes sense though because crypt is the that's the zone that doesn't exist right now actually
1: uh it kind of exists you don't exist okay I'm a thick bit of your imagination.
0: That would be that would be a boring cast.
1: You you conjured me out of thin air <laughs> to appease your game.
0: I wonder if anyone would listen to Lost Cast if it was just one of us, just blahing to ourselves. What do you think?
1: Um, not if it was me, probably. <laughs> <laughs> is
0: it because you're uh, you're so you're so, what is that? Mild and
1: I'm like I'm kind of deadpan, and I need I need your excitableness to offset my
0: yeah i, I suppose <laughs> Less lack you're of excitement you're you're not silent bob but you're that you you fit in that category i suppose i'd be yeah, more like probably. jay where i'm all talkative and i don't know wacky. hyperactive yeah a little wacky
1: anyway uh sound effects change logs yeah so we did change uh sound effects and let's see then you did some polish with the ice which is actually kind of cool so it shakes, and it kind of lets you know that it's about to break before it cracks apart when entities are frozen.
0: Let's uh, let's talk about that. Why not? Like, I've I've got some things to say about that. Um, I'm so sure you do. <laughs> here we go. Oh, boy. No, so I'll, I'll explain a little bit about this. Um, so we have a concept of states in our entity component system that you built for Crypt Run. And we also have visualizers for that. And the way that works is, like, we just have one style called entity states. And each object in there we'll have uh some methods that get called and that would be like add and remove so add gets called when a state is added so like the frozen state when you get hit by an ice beam or when you throw an ice sword at a monster it'll call the uh the add method in the entity states file and what that'll do is like right now it uh it creates an ice view which is um it's this kind of smart view that can it like creates a piece of ice and then uh whenever it listens um Whenever, whenever it gets destroyed, it breaks itself into four pieces and kind of, like, shoots them out, like, uh, makes it look like it explodes a little bit, plays a sound effect. Stuff like that. So, to make it so that it would shake before it broke, that was kind of slightly complicated. Like, it didn't, we didn't really have that functionality yet. So, the way I was going to do it at first was go in the model and kind of the convention we do with other things is, um, like, specifically monster behavior, is it'll throw a warning event before it does something, like a period of time um say like uh the killer plants if you played crypt run they kind of like wiggle they go way, way, and then they blah and they spit stuff at you right? right and the same way with like the lich whenever he's about to fire his ice beam at you he'll um he puts his arms out and then this like this sound goes like Whoop, and then like this ball like starts off large and then shrinks down to the size of his actual projectile mm. so there's all these um warning hooks that all exist in the model the thing is, though, in this case it was a little strange because the model doesn't really care about any kind of a warning for a state expiring. So I decided to just do it in the view, and the way I did it is when you add the state, it includes the duration, and that way the view can just be, it can just ignore it if it wants. It can be like I, like I don't care, I don't need a warning. Or in the case of ice, it wait it uh, it sets its own timer for like. Uh, I want to warn 500 seconds before. So it just takes duration subtracts 500 from it. And then that's how long it waits to do the little shaky, shake, shake before it psh, and shatters.
1: I like that a lot because uh, it's you know essentially a, a display side thing. And it's yeah. it makes more sense if the sim doesn't even know anything about it.
0: We've noticed that as we have more polish in our games, the line between model and polish can tend to be blurred. Like, it's really nice to do stuff in the view that the model couldn't possibly care about, like just some, uh, like the screen shaking or, say, like some particles just shooting out for effect. But there are other things that it makes a lot of sense to live in the model. Um, For example, blood puddles. When we first introduced them, I think they were just in the view. But eventually we put them in the model so that we could, if we wanted to, we could do other things with them like for example when you kill we, we always talk about Splunky. whenever you kill or you attack a monster in Splunky, it shoots out little blood particles and they don't really do anything but there are things in the game that can react to those for example you can get a uh, chalice so and it makes it so that whenever blood touches you you recover some health and yeah, so there's things cool. like that
1: yeah, i really um, like that idea of kind of using these like kind of quote-unquote fluff entities for game purposes
0: yeah, we've had something kind of that we've had problems with in Crypt Run as well. Um, because it's a three-quarter view game, kind of like Legend of Zelda, where you're not looking at stuff directly top-down. You're kind of three-quarters, <laughs> right? right? And, um, uh, oh, where was I going with that? Oh, right. So when stuff is floating in Crypt Run, I added this effect where they kind of, uh, they kind of hover, like, re- up, down, up, down. You know, like... Um, I used uh, I used a sine wave basically to kind of make them hover up and down and it can kind of create some problems because it like the view is being rendered a little higher than the model actually thinks it is and so the right. collisions can start to be kind of off and we played with the idea of taking that polish code back into the model so that's what I'm talking about where like the line between polish and model can sometimes be kind of blurred
1: it, basically, anything that affects like the position of an entity really should be in the model, just because then it's way more accurate when you're doing collision checking and stuff.
0: Right. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I just thought I'd talk about that um, because I—I I don't know. It took a like I did. I could. It's one of those tasks I couldn't just sit down and bang out. Like like the very first. Like it was you know when I when I started working on it, I looked in the model to see if there was any hooks, and I was like, oh, it's a, it just doesn't exist yet, and there's nothing quite like it, so I'll have to write some new code, you know. Okay. And then I had to like my first approach off the top of my head i didn't think was the right one and so it required a little bit of um finagling yeah a little bit of thinking and not just executing anyway uh so the next one's you this is skip rendering of off-screen lights
1: oh yeah so i've been uh kind of compiling a list of things that i want to do to optimize the game and make it run a little faster because especially in the realm of the dead realm of the dark uh it's starting to slow down a little bit and Chrome actually introduced some weird changes recently that actually caused the Canvas performance to take a nosedive, uh, no. at least on Mac. Yeah. That's bad. So, uh, and, and slightly related to that, I'm using old versions of Node WebKit now, because the very latest version of Node WebKit is slower than old versions. Uh, I suspect because mm. of that Chromium slowdown in Canvas performance. But anyways, uh, one of the things I did was um, skip rendering of off-screen lights. Um, so we have these cool lighting effects that we have in the game, and I sh- actually it was really easy. All I did was do some simple math to see if it was on the screen,
0: mm.
1: um, and then if it's not, just don't bother drawing that that light at all. So,
0: are you doing that with all entities right now, or no?
1: No. So the lights are actually drawn differently. The lights are kind of their own separate thing, yeah. aside from entities, just because they're like a completely different visualization.
0: So, uh, if if you recall, we Krypton uh, has came from a game that we were calling Project Warhead. Uh, I mean, that wasn't the name of the game, but that was the <laughs> that was the project name. So anyway, uh, that was our real-time multiplayer game we were working on uh, last quarter of last year, and you actually had implemented the off-screen entities don't render in that uh, code base, which, I mean, we, we wrote Krypton from scratch, but there was some optimization you had done there. So that sounds like something you're going to do eventually.
1: It is. Actually, I have a bunch of changes stashed uh, that it's doing just that. Um, it's a, that's an interesting issue too because uh, it does involve a lot of calculations and iterating over the entities, all the entities in the room. Yeah. And so I want to make sure that I'm not making it worse or doing a bunch of extra work that's not, you know, gonna get us much. Because the rooms in Krypton are a lot smaller. You know, in in Warhead we had these big-ish playing fields uh, where like everything was on screen at a time and the model was ticking through every single entity because being multiplayer you don't know where any given player can be and you can't right. really ever stop rendering parts of the sim and yeah. so with cryptron you're only really ever rendering and taking one room we get people Perhaps.
0: sometimes asking like how we get such good performance with canvas and like really it just comes from tons and tons of like uh trying and failing and trying new things because like uh cryptron you real are the the warhead version of Cryptron, the multiplayer one, you really had to optimize the crap out of that one.
1: I did, and it was still, like... That was such an optimization nightmare because there was also this client-side prediction going on, and it was essentially, like, not only was the model ticking and the display rendering uh, all the time, but we were also running a separate simulation, like a small subset of simulation (laughs) to kind of predict the other player's... Movements. I forgot about right? that. Because I'd have to say, like, oh, you know, Matt, there's some delay in a multiplayer game, and, like, Matt's character is here, and so based on his current trajectory, I think he's going to be here later, so I have to uh, basically predict a collision before it happens in order for things not to snap back in crazy different ways.
0: Yeah, that prediction stuff was crazy. I, I remember, because um, you were the one working on that, that model and the, uh, the integration with our partner, and... Um, And I didn't know a whole lot about it. So I remember when you first told me, you were like, oh, yeah, it's doing this predicting thing. It's essentially creating the entire simulation, predicting what will happen, and then destroying it every single tick. Like, holy (laughs) shit. That's crazy. (laughs) It's creating a whole world (laughs) constantly and destroying it.
1: So what actually ended up happening is I I structured the code such that it was the same world. Like, I didn't create the, the same world. All I did was I created a bunch of mock entities on the fly. Right. So, like, I would say, uh, Take the player and then using our quad tree collision detection find anything that's near him and then take all of those entities, that group, and then run them all through the simulator and see where they're gonna be next frame, then evaluate the collisions there, and if any collisions occur then bubble those up as predicted collisions.
0: Man, that was that was complicated stuff. Yeah, it's it very complicated. I feel like it made working on Crypt Run feel almost like child's play to you i mean the single player crypto oh, yeah. what i've got now because it's just uh it, it's got pretty much all the same elements as the multiplayer version we were working on but it has like one fewer engines in the mix for one right. and it doesn't you don't have to create the simulation uh every time and destroy it and it's, it's got so many it's like so much less going on
1: yes well newsflash multiplayer is hard yeah yeah <laughs> and way more complicated than single player
0: Oh man, I remember when all I ever wanted to do was work on a, like a MMO, RPG, online and now I'm just like, I'm so just frightened <laughs> of working on online multiplayer just because I know from, you know, first-hand experience how difficult it is and oy, it's rough we'll, we'll get there someday, baby steps yeah.
1: um, Anyways so yeah, I've been doing a lot of optimization stuff, I have a lot more work to do one of the things I'm going to do is what we just talked about which is not render off-screen entities. Uh, because the rooms are small-ish, uh, there won't be a huge benefit in some rooms, but some yeah. rooms can get kind of large, and so it'll be mm-hmm. a benefit there. Totally. Um, the other thing I'm going to do is just kind of try to optimize our rendering pipeline in general. There's a lot of um, kind of extra Canvas calls, like translates and stuff that don't need to be going on sometimes, and I'm really going to try and dig into that. And I think that that the nice thing about that is that's going to be at the core engine level and so all of our games and all of our rendering will benefit from that
0: yeah you were talking about that just recently about how you, your favorite thing to do is do something in like really impactful in Gin, the game engine because then all of our games benefit from that change
1: right and one of the reasons our canvas rendering is pretty fast is because we have just kept working on and optimizing kind of the core rendering and that's abstracted it away enough that the actual game code uh doesn't really need that much optimization if the engine works well
0: right totally
1: unless you're doing something wacky which you i like do.
0: do i do very often yes <laughs> wacky particles
1: anyways optimization is fun Ugh, um, I'm, I'm
0: so glad you like it so glad because i don't i would do it if i had to but I, I like it would be like marketing stuff where i just like grin and bear it <laughs> you know i'm glad that it yeah. floats your boat
1: uh, I think it's kind of like marketing stuff for me. I just wouldn't do it. Or you just wouldn't do it. Right, right.
0: <laughs> so we've got some other small changes. Um, somehow we got some gigantic WAV files in the, um, the re- uh, repository, and uh, that caused us to have these huge builds. And I noticed that I was trying to upload like a 90 meg zip file, and I'm like, wait a minute, nine, 90 megs? That <laughs> doesn't, doesn't sound right. <laughs> so I looked in there, and there was a bunch of wave files. Um so hopefully no one had to download those. Um, we're gonna be I making, your,
1: huh? I bet that's your fault.
0: Yeah, I think it is. Okay, I, I added uh, wave files to the get ignore though, so it won't. Sh- it shan't happen again. Shant. Shant. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we're gonna be making some changes to the realm of the dead, which we are now calling realm of the dark. One of our problems, uh, pretty much as long as Crypt Run has existed, has been we haven't. We haven't 100% nailed down the whole special sauce in the game, the whole death mechanic thing. And we're, we're getting pretty close now. We're, we're starting to call it Realm of the Dark, and it's getting us more direction. So there's like a light world and a dark world. So we're, we're getting uh, farther away from something like Soul Reaver or whatever the other the hell games have mechanics like this and closer to something that's close to our heart, uh, uh, Zelda 3, which has the light world and the dark world.
1: Although we still have the idea that you can't take... We're kind of treating it as more of an alternate dimension. And items still don't make the jump between... Yeah, right. And and
0: and we're also going to uh, make the Realm of the Dark all about magic. So, the Realm of the Light is going to be pretty low fantasy. And what that means is, like, magic probably exists, but it's very kind of downplayed. So, an example would be, like, say, if you're familiar with um, Conan the Barbarian... Like, magic exists, but, like, people aren't walking around casting spells trivially. You know, it's um, it's low fantasy. And then uh, Realm of the Dark is going to be more high fantasy, which, what that means is there's, like, there's more fantastical things happening. And, like, magic is, uh, you know, like, it, almost everyone can cast magic. And there's fireballs everywhere. And there's fairies and all kinds of crazy crap. Uh, right. So that's going to be the primary, like, focus for those two realms.
1: So I actually went ahead and I created like a kind of base level of uh, realm of the dark weapons uh, for the player, and so oh. uh, there are fireballs, ice shards, um, lightning balls, and like this green goop. And so it's supposed to be like fire, ice, earth, and electricity hmm. as elements. Nice. And uh, they're all going to have kind of have different properties. Um, so like the fire is all all about AOE, but it's short range so far so like the current fireball it kind of feels a little bit similar to the onslaught fireball it shoots in front of you in like a big spread um but it doesn't go very far Hmm. and then the lightning is it shoots one at a time but it's really fast really far and it has a a low cooldown Hmm. and the ice shards they kind of shoot in a spread they're really weak but they freeze things nice and then um the earth stuff isn't quite done yet but the plan for that is that it's going to be all about growth and multiplication So, it might have like axe like behavior when it bounces off walls, it splits into two. So, it might be one of those weapons where um, it's all about ricochet. Ooh. So, that's the plan for those. And then um, I'm thinking maybe a couple different iterations down those lines. So, like, there might be like a couple different kinds of fire weapons. Like, one is the frontal blast, and maybe one's like a huge ring that's like super damage but low cooldown or high cooldown and high mana cost or something.
0: Right. Oh, you also where you added mana
1: i did add mana yes so to kind of go down this magic weapons tree we've also added mana to the realm of the dark which is something that doesn't exist in realm of the light and one of the reasons i like that i think it's interesting is because it just kind of builds upon what the realm of the light has but makes you pay more attention that you didn't have to pay before
0: yeah so it it makes realm of the dark kind of organically more difficult because you've got more to juggle and you're, uh... So it'll limit your attacks. Like, when you run out of mana, you won't be able to attack.
1: So right now, uh... For the alpha build, I actually tuned the stuff to hardly cost anything. So your mana regens just about as fast as you spend it, just because there's no mana regeneration items in the Realm of the Dark yet. Yeah. Uh,
0: I-, I was just playing with it a little bit over the weekend. I mean, I was mostly out of town looking at apartments and stuff, but, um, when I had some downtime, I would kind of pull... You were busy. I would pull your changes and take a look, and, uh... I thought the game was busted because I, I didn't know you had added mana yet, so I was sitting here trying to attack and like the game doesn't really react very well to that right now. Like your little characters running around, I'm holding like attack button down and he just kinda of would raise his arm up and put it back down and I'm like <laughs> it feels like I'm hitting the raise arm button. You right. know? <laughs> so I didn't know what was going on, but then I saw the mana bar and I'm like, Oh, it's mana.
1: Yeah, so I think that the way that will kind of play out is because you, you're firing so much, I think we'll probably want mana to drop from enemies. So we might do something like uh, your mana is messaged more as, like, soul power or something. Right. Uh, and then enemies drop that. And so, which is pretty interesting, too, because that also feeds into the core mechanics of moving and dodging. Right. Uh, but now, in order to keep firing, moving and dodging, you got to move around, collecting little orbs of mana recharge or whatever. Yeah, that sounds cool. Yeah, so I'm excited about that. Um... What
0: else? I added a bunch of stuff to the sewer. Um, I had for a while like no inspiration for the sewer, and then um, I probably did something weird, like I took a shower or something, and I had uh, you know a sudden flood of ideas. That's unusual. <laughs> and uh, and so I added um, some different layouts for the rooms. I added uh, I added a room that was empty except for a grating in the middle, and it's going to be like real slimy, gross-looking, kind of like a manhole, but uh, more bars that you can see through. Yep. And I think we're going to add something something to that. I don't know what yet. Uh, some kind of yeah. hidden thing.
1: I really like that room.
0: Yeah. We, I think we both like these rooms where you come... Like, I think it, it reminds me of uh, Super Metroid. The rooms where you come in and you're like... Every single room, you're used to like, battle, battle, battle. And you're like fighting. And then you come into a room and it's all like quiet all of a sudden. And it's very still. And you're like... It's eerie almost. You know? You're like, what? Yeah. Is this I, safe?
1: I kind of like that in um, the cemetery when you happen upon that... Uh the tombstone room. room. Yeah, the tombstone room, right? Yeah, That uh, so a bunch of wonderful tosses people. Tosses it up a little bit.
0: Yeah. Uh, people get to put the, uh, they put some text on the, the tombstones. Yeah. People who back to Kickstarter.
1: So we're going to do something cool with that grading room.
0: Yeah. Probably. Something hidden, like, I don't know, off the top of my head, like, maybe you get the shovel in the cemetery, which can only be found in the cemetery, and then you can use the shovel to pry open the grate, the grating, and then maybe either something comes out, or you can go in, or I don't know.
1: Yeah. It be part of, like, a multi-step quest or something.
0: Totally, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I added slimes back in because we had slimes from the very beginning in the cemetery, but then we um, we kind of shelved them because we knew we wanted to add a sewer, and we were like, slimes would be cooler in a sewer, so I put them back in. I added a new muck monster, which, uh, this is kind of cool. He's kind of like the, uh, the skeletons in Spelunky. So like there's these uh, puddles, which some of them don't do anything in the world, but some of the puddles you walk up to, and they uh, they come alive. And um, the the other inspiration for that was uh, Shunning in the Darkness is one of my favorite first-person dungeon crawlers. It's a role-playing game on Genesis, and there were these really there was these puddles just in the dungeon, and most of them were just kind of visual, like just kind of fluff, just kind of neat. For polish and then but some of them you'd be walking along and like this big monster uh what were they called like a, like a wave beast or something but this big monster would come out of the puddle and you'd have to fight them and so that's uh kind of where the inspiration for that came from and so um yeah these big puddly slimy things come out and throw themselves at you and uh, uh if you're playing the build if you've got uh the the weekly alpha access you'll see that it's it's placeholder graphics. It's directly from Shining in the Darkness. Um, I hope we don't get sued for that, but they're, they're going to go away eventually.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Also, I think we'll probably fix their behavior a little bit, too. You don't like the behavior? But, you hate my uh, behavior? I do. I hate it. How dare you? Well, let, let's talk it out. What don't you like about it? What do, you hate? what do you hate about it, Jeff? I don't know. I'm not really a fan of the charging for slimes. It doesn't feel like a very slimy behavior. I feel like they need something more slow moving but so, just as dangerous uh
0: what i was picturing for the visuals was they kind of like turn into a big drop like bleep, 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 you know what i'm saying like they they kind of mm-hmm. like the puddle will like shoot up out of the out of the ground yeah i don't know interesting uh, um another way we could go with that if you don't like the charging is we could try um they come out and they spit uh acid at you or they throw some oh. puddle goo at you
1: interesting so they yeah, don't maybe
0: they don't move around
1: Oh, the well, boss
0: for sewer, or actually, we should talk about the boss for sewer. I think what the way we're thinking right now is the uh, the realm of the light will be a gelatinous cube, and the realm of the dark will be a sea hag, or do we have that reversed? Or
1: uh, I think it's the other way around. It's going to be gelatinous cube for realm of the light and sea hag for realm of the dark.
0: Right. Yeah. yeah. So gelatinous cube we've had. It's kind of a lost decade staple. It's like almost every game we've made has had a. Wow, we didn't put a gelatinous cubes in Lava Blade. Ah. What are you going to do? Yeah. But yeah, almost almost every game we've made it has a gelatinous cube in it, and um, we like them a lot, so we're going to put one in. Um, the, other, the sea hag is cool, though, because uh, the concept is there's going to be a bunch of puddles, just like there are in the rest of the um, cemetery, or, sorry, sewer, but so these puddles are going to be bigger, and they'll be randomly generated in that room, and then the sea hag will like pop out of a puddle and, you know, I don't know, spit at you or throw a sea hag at you i don't know
1: i was actually thinking that the sea hag might make more sense for the realm of the light actually because uh the way that i've been designing the realm of the light bosses is that they generally have two phases where they go into the realm of the dark and the realm of the light right and that in and out of puddles thing would actually be a great opportunity for her to go into the realm of the dark temporarily it would uh and that would kind of fit that you know that model because then whatever we put in the realm of the dark uh for sewer you don't have to deal with the uh, sea haggery so often, just like in Realm of the Light, with the uh, skeleton king and the the lich lord. Yeah. Plus, the kind of the puddles uh, in general are Realm of the Light entities, and so maybe that makes more sense for them to be, uh, for her to be there too. But we'll figure that part out.
0: Yeah. Maybe Gelatinous Cube uh, is a mini boss. Maybe he comes out of the grating.
1: Yeah. Ooh, that would be kind of fun. Yeah. Maybe he had drops a special item, and you can only summon him somehow. You have to do something, and then he like oozes out of the grating and. Yeah. into the gelatinous cube or something.
0: What's fun about the cube is that we can put a visible item inside of him. So, like, if you've played our first game, Onslaught Arena, the gelatinous cube boss has just a skull and a dagger in him, just for, you know, just neat looking. Um, But in Crypt Run, we actually did this for Warhead. We had this working. Uh, Whenever a gelatinous cube was uh, created, it would have a random item inside of him. And so you'd see, like, an ice sword or a a lava axe or whatever we had in in that version of the game. And so we've already got that set up, so we can just stick an item in them, and you'll be able to see it.
1: What if the gelatinous cube encounter, it's in the grading room, and you do something to trigger it, and what happens is, is that the grading starts spawning little cubes. And whenever little cubes run into each other, they turn into a slightly bigger cube. Ooh. And so you're trying to kill off little cubes before they merge into a big cube, and if you merge into a big cube, he's more dangerous or something.
0: So maybe the steps are you you get the shovel in the cemetery, and maybe that's something that's either challenging or whatever. And then you've got the shovel, so then you have to get to the cemetery or sorry the sewer. And once you get to the sewer, you have to hit the grating with the shovel, and then when you do, like it pops off, and then cubes start shooting out of it, and you want to pick them off as fast as you can. That could be a pretty interesting. Um, encounter too, because we know for sure what weapon you'll have. Like, you couldn't you couldn't get to the gelatinous cube mini boss or whatever and have, say, boomerang, which might like really mess them up. You'd have right. to have shovel. Yeah, definitely. That could be really interesting.
1: That could be really interesting. I'm liking that oh, a lot, and it could be
0: the kind of like A to B to C to D like multi-step quest. So like, maybe the cube uh, or like the final cube monster in there or something has a specific item in his guts, you know, and that's the only way you can get that. And then you need that item to, you know, maybe it's a key, and you need that key to open some door and whatever.
1: Yeah. That sounds like a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, it does. So, let's see. Uh, uh, The graves in the cemetery now only spawn three zombies. We talked about that, I think, in the last episode. Um, That's worth
1: mentioning again. We just... uh we want to make sure that you can't just kind of cheese the zombies, especially now. Uh, we'll talk about this later, but I actually fixed some of the spawner drops. So now you can actually farm them for gold again. But right, since, since they only spawn three at a time, or three ever, then it's not as, as cheesy.
0: Um, people who have played Crypt Run will be glad to hear that I nerfed the uh, uh, owls a little bit.
1: <laughs> I actually really like that change. Uh, three hits for the small owls feels just about right. Yeah, it You can still get hit by them, but they're... They're not quite as nasty. Like they're a little bit more intro friendly.
0: Yeah, they could probably also use another um, speed nerf as well. Maybe we'll see.
1: Maybe yeah, we'll see. Uh,
0: so then you did something.
1: Um, Fix shop oh, I loot tables. Fix the loot tables. So there was some. We had this bug. Uh, we actually saw it during our live stream. I think where there was a there was a shop with only two items in there. Oh, that's right. And it was because I had a bug in my randomization function that would, like, if it returns zero... So basically, you know, math.random returns zero to slightly less than one. Right. And there was a bug that if it returned zero, it just wouldn't return any results. So that's what was happening there, is it was returning zero uh, from the random function, and then my weighted list parsing didn't understand how to do zero very well. Nice. <laughs> right. So... So that was
0: a crazily small chance of ever seeing that.
1: Yeah, it was pretty small. Like, well, it was about 1 in 100.
0: Oh, okay. Right. I thought it would be even less than that.
1: Well, maybe. I'm not really sure what the, the statistics on math.random are. But actually, yeah, you're probably right. It's probably way more than 1 in 100. Anyways, so. um, it, was, it was a pretty small chance. But... Um, the interesting thing about this seeded dungeon stuff is that it's great for debugging because all I did was I just took that seed that we were playing uh, during the live stream and I just <laughs> yeah. kept using that and I, I kept getting that same shop, right? Because it was the same seed. So oh, I can like, nail down the bug really easily.
0: That That is really valuable for debugging because when you've got a procedurally generated um, world, you might never see the same thing again.
1: I was thinking about um, perhaps... Displaying the seed somewhere for debug versions, of alpha, so that if people want to like, if they encounter a bug, uh, they can send us the seed. It's probably maybe being logged out right now. No, it's not, but it should. Oh, sure. Why not? Actually, actually, uh, for next alpha, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna add the seed somewhere where people can. I'm thinking maybe um, just display it right on the screen, like in the corner at all times, or something really small. That way, people sure. screenshot or something.
0: Yeah, hmm. that's true. That could be good. I, I like putting stuff into uh, hidden key commands because um, I was I was a gamer in the time of uh, Doom and Doom Two and stuff where you could type like um, so it was made by ID or ID um, right so you'd type like IDDQD would make you invincible IDKFA would give you all the weapons and so yeah but we, for
1: this like people aren't really gonna know about that stuff and we want like we want the debugging information not to be hidden
0: yeah yeah no I get you Um, but maybe in like the final production version oh sure yeah you can type like LD seed Um, right now what can you do you can type um, LD die which kills you right (laughs) I don't know why you'd (laughs) want to do that but that's mostly a tool for us to use but also kind of a hidden little thing oh and there's a Konami code so go type it and see what happens I hope it's cool I don't even remember
1: I think it turns off the lights
0: yeah that's not that cool we'll do something cool (laughs) (laughs) eventually
1: Uh, Let's see. I think the next big
0: one is uh, you refactored lich to fix some crazy thing.
1: Oh, yeah. I had this weird bug where uh, essentially I was taking the state of an entity and I was turning it into a JSON object Uh, because I I was basically caching it. So the whole whole reason this feature exists is because when you exit a room, it takes all the entities that are left in that room and it serializes them and stores them. And then when you come back into that room, it un all those entities so that a room is in the same state as when you left it, essentially. Right. The problem with that, though, is that the lich was holding on to an instance of the player object. So when the lich got serialized, uh, it was trying to serialize the player object. Oh, the right. player object has a reference to the world, and the world has a reference to everything.
0: <laughs> oh. So it
1: was causing this crazy recursion error.
0: I I introduced that, didn't I? I cached player in lich behavior. Yes, My, yes, Okay. Uh, I may have done that again. Oh? Yeah, in like Monster.
1: So basically the way you should be doing this kind of stuff with regards to the AI scripts is that don't ever cache any references to any in-game objects. Just um, it, It's really pretty fast to just find the entity, so just know what entity you're looking for, and then in each behavior, find look it up.
0: So what both of those... Behaviors have in common both the lich and the muck monster. That's the slime monster we were just talking about. They both uh, want to like find where the player is and target them, yep. and then that's when they'll throw the warning event we were talking about. And then after some short period of time, they will fire at that direction. And so, right. what the reason I cached it was because I was like, I want to find the player now, and I was searching twice, and I was like, well, why search twice? I'll just search once. I'll just because I've already found him. Right.
1: Well, you still only need to search once. The way that I do that kind of stuff is that I find the player, I aim the entity at that location. Right. So that their facing is such that that's where they're going to be going. Right. Then I wait, and then when that timer is up, then I just say, "Move in the direction you were facing." So on that second step, you don't even need the player, really.
0: Yeah. Okay. So uh, I'll make a note that we should look at Muck Monster. Say like, like recursion in Muck Monster.
1: Uh, although in general i think i mean the the scripting system has a lot of like weird holes like that where it's it's kind of wonky and it shouldn't really be there's a lot of other problems with it basically is what i'm saying and i think in a different game i would tackle it a little differently
0: hmm you are you are never pleased with your code sir
1: no i'm never never happy
0: never happy so what uh, else let's see. oops i just cleared the log no give me oh, the log, I- give me the log.
1: I, uh, fixed some projectile bugs in the step script, which is used by slimes and gravediggers and a couple other entities, um, that was causing the slimes not to throw their projectiles correctly. Yep. yep. And, let's
0: see... So you added mana, which mana we talked about.
1: Oh, and I refactored a loot table to include entities spawned by spawners, which means that, uh, so previously, um, when I, I, when I made all of the seeded dungeon changes, um, what I did was I made the loot kind of deterministic at generation time. So whenever I generate a zombie, for example, in the world, I attach the loot that that zombie's going to drop right away. Right. Um, and so that's how it, it's the same for everybody, right? Like, if this barrel in this room drops a golden axe for you, it's also going to drop a golden axe for me. Right. The problem with that, though, is that it didn't really account for entities that were spawned by other entities. So it would say, like, oh, I'm going to put a grave here. And the game engine didn't really know anything about a grave Um, And so it didn't know how to attach loot to the zombies being spawned by the graves. So the zombies being spawned by
0: graves would never give you any loot?
1: Yeah, they would just be empty all all the time. Um, So what I did actually is I gave spawners a loot list that's generated at, at dungeon generation time. And then every time they spawn anything, they look in their loot list and grab the first thing and then attach it to the thing they just spawned. Hmm. And so sometimes that's nothing, and sometimes it's whatever the loot table happens to be for that specific monster. So for, like, zombies, it's usually nothing or a piece of, like, small piece of treasure.
0: So basically the um, spawned spawned monsters are now more rewarding.
1: Yeah, they they can drop the same stuff that their non-spawned monsters uh, Nice. Yep, Uh, then I added mana, which we talked about. So what is the,
0: oh, you added the poison state 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 and you added the mushroom mushroom entity. entity. So why don't you talk yeah. about
1: that? So the mushrooms are actually something I've been wanting to add for a while, but they're like these entities that they aren't harmful if you touch them and they're kind of weak. Uh, but they have some interesting properties in that like if you get close to them, they'll shoot out a ring of poison spores. And you have to be really close. I mean, they're not like uh, and, and the spores don't go very far. So they're they're kind of like a, they're basically meant to be a trap, um, in the uh, in, the, in the sewer, kind of sure. like you know spikes, but they, they operate a little differently in that uh, if you get close to them they'll shoot out a puff of spores and the spores themselves are poisonous and so I had this poison state where if you get hit by spores uh, you take a little initial damage uh, and then you take a bunch of damage over time maybe not a bunch, but some. Right. Um, so it's kind of interesting uh, I think there's some more interesting stuff we can do with that. Off the top of my head I think it's interesting because uh, you at least get the opportunity to like go pick up or find like a health potion you know if you're you're taking poison damage, you know instead of like oh this thing does 30 damage to you and you're dead. it's like this thing does 30 damage to you over 10 seconds and so you have the opportunity to go and try and find health <laughs> before you run out of life.
0: right like maybe the shops will sell an antidote and you can be like, oh there's an uh, antidote back there. I gotta go two rooms back and you rush back and you buy it and that saves you from taking like half the damage.
1: Maybe, yeah. It depends how, how fast the poison ticks and how much damage it does and other things like that. It's been interesting. Uh, it's kind of caused me to think a little bit about, like, having a secondary item that you could use. Like, uh, poison actually would be really handy if there was, like, a secondary item that you could just activate. Like, you could pick up a, uh, an antidote and save it for later. Mm-hmm. Poison doesn't really work that well with, like oh, now you have to go find an antidote somewhere in the dungeon that may or may not drop. Like, most times you're just going to ride out the poison anyway.
0: Yeah, um, the way Dark Souls does that is there's a designated button that's like this is your heal potion button. I've seen very few games that actually does that, but that's pretty interesting because it's it's such an important mechanic that there's uh, an input just for it.
1: Well, other games do that too, in a sense, like Diablo. Um, Most people bind their healing and mana potions to hotkeys. Uh, Diablo kind of gives you the option, right? Like you can bind whatever you want to one through 10 or whatever. Yeah. And so most people would bind a potion there somewhere. So
0: the inventory that we had working for project warhead was more like, um, you could hit, I think we had a couple different incarnations. One of them was like, you could hit left and right arrows and that would kind of scroll your inventory. And then whichever one was selected, you could hit like the space button or something and that would use it. Right. Yeah. Um, we might do something similar. We've, we're pretty much optimizing for the gamepad, so I can picture left like uh, scrolling through your inventory being like L and R triggers or something. Yeah,
1: with your bumper, and maybe you can only scroll through like a secondary item. Like there might be like a secondary item. Like you always shoot with whoever's in your primary with the yeah. right analog stick, and then if you press X, it'll use your secondary item, and your secondary item can be like a potion or who the hell knows. what? Like a
0: magic bomb or a temporary strength potion or like a shield or like things right yeah it would would
1: add a lot of strategy to the game to be able to use things like uh on the fly i mean even right now you know you pick up a health potion you don't need it it does nothing for you right Right. especially if like you boomeranged it out of a chest or something right yeah
0: (laughs) boomeranged i approve of the use of boomerang as a verb (laughs) right so did did you talk about removing freeze script and uh, adding hazard
1: collide effects uh, no, but what I did there is we basically had like uh, an AI script for freeze that would apply the frozen state to stuff, and that was kind of clunky uh, for a few reasons. And when I added poison, I wanted to have something that was a little more generic baked into the engine where almost any hazard could apply a given state to something that it touched. And so in some cases that might be freeze, in some cases it might be poison, in other all cases right. it might be something else. Um, so I basically ripped out all the old freeze code and I turned it into this... More homogenous thing that is shared with uh, poison and nice. stun and some other things. Yeah. So that was uh, that was nice. I like extensibility. Extensibility uh, is very good. Oh, and then I added fluff items in every room. So we were talking earlier about how the blood puddles are actually in the model or in the sim. Yep. Uh, one of the things that allowed me to do was that I just added a couple quick lines of code, um, and now every room and every dungeon has randomly generated between 3 and 5 pieces of fluff and it's based on the zone and so for the cemetery it's always blood puddles um, so any given room in the cemetery will have just have some random blood puddles around and for the sewer it's blood puddles and non-muck monster muck piles.
0: And the non-muck monster muck piles, uh, when you when you approach those from a game design standpoint those have uh, like a heavy value because any one of them to the player is potentially a hazard. Even right. if it's not, it's something that needs to be approached
1: carefully. Exactly, and so those things are now, in any every single room, there's just some random muck lying around that we know are never muck monsters, but in conjunction with rooms that actually have muck monsters, you won't really know. And so what this does is that we don't ever have to generate um, muck that isn't a muck monster intentionally. All we have to do is just, in some rooms, put muck monsters, and then you know, they'll be intermixed with these kind of fluff. I think I mugs. did
0: add muck puddles though. Did you remove the ones that I stuck in the no. generator?
1: If there's some being generated, then they'll be there too. Okay. I, I mean, that doesn't think really matter. That was like a specific room. Yeah. It doesn't matter because then that room will just have more or less or whatever. Okay, cool. But I kind of liked it from just a general dungeon feel too. It's kind of cool to have muck, random muck in every room.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It looks good. It w- and it has uh has game design weight
1: as well and we can do that like it's set up to do any number of fluff entities so uh if we wanted to add like a pile of bones like a dead fish or like whatever we can just add that there and it'll randomly place that stuff around
0: what i really like about the uh the fluff in the sewer is it's it's like we want this the cemetery to be a certain difficulty and we want the sewer to be more difficult because it's farther in the game right Right. And the fluff in the cemetery is—it's um, just blood, and that will never hurt you. But in the c- in the sewer, it's uh, just muck, which will alf- also never hurt you. But it has the potential to be deadly. And so, I think the obvious way to go in the crypt is like there's blood puddles, and the blood like can be dangerous. So maybe there's like those those slime monsters that like the muck monster—that's a puddle of blood that turns into a monster. Maybe there's blood mm-hmm. monsters in the crypt.
1: Interesting. Maybe it's like cursed blood
0: cursed blood that sounds
1: cool yeah i'm
0: gonna write that uh, one down i like that
1: blood else? monster Rah. oh and then i treated uh muck monsters as traps instead of monsters so we kind of have this designation between what's a monster and what's a trap and per- for the purposes of the generator and um some things are traps and some things are monsters and i turned buck monsters in the traps just because i feel like they're more trap like they were monsters by the default well, they were in the monster's bucket.
0: Oh, uh, yeah. They, they, uh, when I put stuff in the generator, I don't always do it correctly because I don't... You wrote yeah, all yeah. that, and I don't spend a lot of time there. That I didn't mean to put it there.
1: Oh, well, it's it's really not, like, right or wrong. It's just kind of where it feels right. Different approaches. Because the buckets, like, it, it, there's two distinct buckets, right? And some of them pull... They, they get pulled independently, right? So when, it, right, right. when we say, like, oh, I'm going to put ten traps in this room... It pulls ten traps from the trap bucket, and then it says, "I also want to put five monsters in this room," and it pulls five monsters from the monster bucket.
0: <laughs> I'm uh, so. I'm seeing this one. The add attack radius to step script. Um, I didn't know that was in there, so I, I think I filed a bug. I was like, oh. so sometimes the the slimes just don't attack. I don't get it.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, because there's uh, um, the It seems to make sense because basically there's a couple things going on with slimes. One, they their projectiles are going all the way across the room, and two, they were firing. No matter how far away they were from you. Oh, yeah. They weren't quite right. So, actually, just I did that globally in step, which I kind of like. So, basically, the upshot is is that any creature with that behavior won't fire its projectile unless it's within a certain range of you. Right. Which makes more sense.
0: Um, I think the zombie... When I saw the zombie grave... R- grave robber? What do we call them? Grave digger? Grave robber? It oh. needed more of a detection radius for attacking... Sure, get,
1: yeah, yeah. I didn't really modify anybody's... I just put a default on there.
0: Yeah, we need to uh, get back into our Crypto and Entities spreadsheet, because I think we've let that get kind of... Um, basically, we have this spreadsheet that lists all the entities in the game, and we kind of give them a status of, like, Alpha, Beta, Gamma. And uh, I think we've started to let some of those slip a little. I mean, plus, it's like like the Grave Robber having some new behavior. He needs to kind of go back to Beta just by default, because uh, his Beta needs to be re-examined, right? Pretty much anything uh, with step, right. I think that's the case right now. Okay, sure. I mean, it's it's just so like we've talked about this before, probably, but like um, things in the code, it's really difficult to know what state they are because it could easily just be placeholder. It could easily have hours of work on it. You know, if it's just like uh, a couple of numbers or like you know the metadata attached to say like a, a monster. You know, like, when you just glance at it, unless it has, like, really nice comments or something, you don't know if it's, like, what the state is. Like, is it, or is it really critical? Is it just something I tossed in? Like, what's going on?
1: And there's so many interlocking pieces. It's hard to know. Like, step is a good example, right? Like, I modified right. the step script. That affects tons of things that have that behavior.
0: Right. Yeah, and it's difficult, but the spreadsheet kind of helps bubble that up for us, and it kind of also acts as a blanket. So instead of us having to have a comment in the step script and a comment on the Grave Digger like uh, definition and then maybe also something somewhere else to like track his graphics or whatever. We've just got a spreadsheet to kind of just as a global umbrella for like grave digger zombie feels good or he's yep. ass or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yep. So you also expanded the town, which is our macro game.
1: Yep. So uh, alpha players will see that. Um, not really right. a lot there
0: yet, but it's um it kind of gives you an idea of the layout. So like the town is going to be a full full map and have several different rooms.
1: Yeah, right now there's like a couple town areas, and then there's like a marketplace, and the marketplace has like an armor shop, a weapon shop, and a item shop, right? Which are empty right now. And so the thinking with these uh, areas in the town is they're going to be unlockable. And so we may have talked this, about this on our previous podcast, but Since the game is a roguelike and we're not really letting you have any kind of character persistence, um, the way we treat persistence of the game is by leveling up the town, so to speak. Right. And so as you complete quests in the game, certain areas of the town will then be unlocked to you. So like, for example, the armor shop or the weapon shop and item shop will all be the result of you essentially going into the dungeon and rescuing the merchant.
2: Right. Uh, And so...
1: other areas of, like, the arena is going to be like that. It's going to be a, kind of a separate dungeon that you can only unlock by doing something in the cemetery or sewer or something.
0: Right. I'm excited about that. We're starting to take the first couple of steps towards actually having a finished game, and that's having a sewer level like it exists now, even though it's nowhere near done. And, like, the town exists even though it's very empty and needs a lot of work. But
1: Yeah, we're starting to wire up all the plans that we had. Yeah. Um, and the town also has this big museum in it that's largely empty right now as well, but it will house a couple of different things. One is going to be kind of uh, our way of displaying achievements in the game, which is showing you which items you've seen in the game. Right. Uh, and then it's also going to be the place where we're going to show the backer portraits for the Kickstarter reward. That's going to be fun. Uh, and then really, anything else that we want to bubble up in the game, as far as like, if you killed a hundred slimes and you have a slime statue in your museum and stuff like that, it's you know basically yeah. going to be our way of displaying to you what you've done in the game
0: yeah and it's it's like a good way of marrying what you do in the dungeon to to the town and like create some permanence to it so i think what we're going to do is there's going to be a room in the museum that'll have a matrix of statues of monsters and if you haven't killed that monster at all there's just like an empty spot there like a you know um a coming soon exhibit sign you know and uh, we, we, if you've killed the monster at all, like, a, a bronze statue will appear. And if you've killed, you know, some certain threshold of them, then a silver statue appears. And if you've killed, you know, some really high threshold um, for, you know, completionist players and players who uh, play a lot, uh, you'll get a gold statue. And so it'll that's kind of a way of bubbling up your progress with regards to just how much of the game's content you've consumed.
1: And it's just, yeah, it's a more interesting visualization on stuff than like an achievements list
0: yeah just it's not just a progress bar it's like a it's cooler looking and it exists like a tandem, in your like, world
1: yeah we want the town to kind of feel alive and the town is going to be you know your way of like uh you want to improve the town right right hopefully so that's cool uh, let's see uh and then i did some more just kind of general town stuff i was adding some signs around doors to let you know like what's behind them and then i added um, what we call the speaker component to the sign so that when you go up to sign you press the interact button which is currently uh, A on my controller uh, or the spacebar if you're using the keyboard that is the
0: uh, one face button if you have just a PC gamepad too
1: yeah although I think a lot of people are adopting the Xbox style of number or lettering but anyways yeah it's uh, kinda of the primary button and uh, what it does is it will read off the sign contents so it'll say, like, if you go up to the weapon shop in the town right now and you interact with a sign, it'll say weapon shop.
0: Yay! Fun.
1: So more of that kind of stuff is going to come, too. Uh, that's pretty much it. That takes us to the alpha that we I just built today. And, like I said, I sent it off to Humble Store. And uh, and so
0: if you new. contributed at least 25 bucks to the Kickstarter, um, you are going to get that build tomorrow in your email. And yep. or if you've uh, purchased the twenty-five dollar uh, humble store, what do you call it? Like a thing?
1: <laughs> Early alpha access.
0: Yeah. If you've purchased that package, um, so one of the either one of those two things, you will get this in your email tomorrow. And if you don't have either of those, uh, the one that you can still do is you can go to cryptrun.com and you can purchase the twenty-five dollar package. And if you do that, then next episode, uh, you will know what we're talking about. Right. <laughs> <What? laughs>
1: Um and um, if you haven't filled out your Kickstarter survey and you're wondering why oh, that's they haven't true. emailed you a build then that's probably why yeah that's um, true you have to
0: there are still some any, stragglers
1: anybody having problems just send us an email hello at lostagoodgames.com totally yeah let us know
0: so, oh, something else to note is uh, our apologies in advance. Uh, we appreciate the Linux support. Um, we weren't able to get you uh, a Linux build for tomorrow, but will we will we have that for the following week?
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, okay. I'm currently working on it. It's getting close, so. Um, oh, there's a cat trying to attack my headphone cord. <laughs> <laughs> Which one? Loki. Oh, why do I even ask? Of course it's Loki. Uh, but yeah, I'm working on that and I think that'll make it for the next weekly alpha.
0: Cool. Excellent.
1: Um, so we'll see. Uh, that That's kind of a, uh, that's a new realm for me, so.
0: Yeah, it is it is brand new. So tomorrow it's Windows and Mac only, uh, but we'll get Linux uh, to, to you um, just as soon as we can.
1: I also might put up like a zip file that contains some of the Linux build stuff. Um, and if people want to like try it out and like let me know what's, if there's anything wrong with it. Oh, that's true. Uh, there's so many totally different I mean, distros so many different distros and like i'm just i'm a complete noob to linux packaging right yeah uh so i really that's kind of the holdup but um i think that's what i'll do actually is i'll I'll put up the files i do have um on the website somewhere and we can link off to those linux builds and uh, if people want to check those out and let us know how it works for them and we'll be happy to hear it yeah so wow we're already at over an hour wow the changelog stuff really eats up time
0: yeah apparently um so do you want to go into Browserify and stuff or do you want to save that for the next step
1: um we can just talk about Browserify real quick um we can talk about the other stuff uh next time but uh i was just investigating Browserify as a p- potential replacement for RequireJS. js um i kind of yeah. like require js in some respects but it's also very verbose and uh, i've been writing a lot of node.js lately and so Browserify is actually kind of a nicer dependency manager than Require.js so uh, it, because it gives you like Node.js style require.
0: Oh, is that where you say just like var uh, foo equals require foo? Yeah. Oh, I missed that syntax. It's so much nicer. So, Require.js works great and it's very stable and everything, but you have to first require your file and then also assign it to a variable, which um, isn't that bad. And it, it, I mean, it doesn't sound like much. It's it's okay, but when, you, when you've when you got files like we do that require 50 other files, it starts to get a little uh,
1: difficult to manage. The problem is it's, like, disconnected, right? You have this construct called define, and define takes an array of files to require, and then it also takes a function, and the parameters to that function are aliases to the files that you depended upon. And so right. what ends up happening is that if you alter the order, it's easy to screw it up and, like one thing is being included on the alias of a different thing and, like, you don't know what's going on. You're like, why does this not have the right methods or whatever? Yeah, it's kind of, it's just, it's more prone to error. Right. Uh, the problem is that moving over to Browserify would cause a lot of rewriting, which is, I don't know, is something we want to do or not. Which is
0: fun? Rewriting is fun?
1: Fun, yes. No, <laughs> <laughs> no I, I don't want to do that. So we might actually do it for like a if we ever break compatibility with Jin uh, from like one version to the next, we might tackle something like that during that time. But uh, as for right now, we're gonna stick with RequireJS and maybe for newer projects use Browserify instead.
0: And uh, I will put both of those uh, in the show notes. So if you don't, if you're not familiar with those um, technologies, uh, RequireJS is is very cool. We've been using it for a long time, and uh, apparently Browserify is pretty slick too. So check them out if you're making html5 games and uh they might they might suit your needs it's pretty likely though like uh like if you're an impact or something um those uh engines often have their own system as well for including stuff
1: yeah i forget i think if i remember correctly um impact had its own They it rolled its own it was actually very similar to require js uh, yeah if i remember correctly but yeah anyways um but yeah we might talk about um some plans we have for our next iteration on gin which is our engine that powers all our games next episode
0: yeah we should probably talk we should have an episode where we just talk about gin because we talk about it and people are curious about it and they ask us about it and like we haven't made it available so it's it's almost like kind of crappy of us to keep taunting people with it or whatever like i don't know we, we should just explain why we it's it's not like we're stingy or we don't want to share it. It's just that um, we're trying to focus. Focus, focus, focus! Focus is so important for, you know, especially a small startup, and uh, we want to make games. We don't want to make middleware. We don't really want people using our tools, but I think it's if it's, you know, very strongly the other way around, where people just really, really want to Play with our tools, then um, I don't know. Maybe someday we'll open them up, but in in the short term, it's it's just way too much work. Because we don't want to just we don't want to just toss it up somewhere and just like here you go, here's some crap. But good luck figuring out how in the world this works. You know, we'd like right. to take some time and like create some nice like how to and like here's a here's some demos and here's some examples and here's a nice document about X Y Z and blah blah blah. But again, that's like we're already way behind. I feel like on Cryptron, we just do not have the time yeah but someday maybe I don't know probably not
1: (laughs) (laughs) way to dangle out the carrot Matt
0: yeah let's just say no no it's not coming out ever that way uh, we'll never disappoint anyone there you
1: go. Can only can only make <laughs> people happy that were previously disappointed.
0: I I kind of feel like we should just shut up about it if we're not going to release it. You know, I feel I feel bad because like it's it's one of the things that's important to our company, and so we talk about it a lot. But I feel like it's almost a tease to some people. That it sucks. It
1: could be, but. Uh, this conversation especially could be interesting because I want to talk about like where the engine is headed, and should we continue developing it, and what are the other choices out there, and should we use those, and yeah. et cetera, et cetera. So it could be an interesting discussion from the perspective of should I write my own engine, should I keep writing my own engine? Is it worth the effort? Is it worth the time? There's my, actually some pretty good alternatives out there these days.
0: Yeah, My advice to anyone these days is just use someone's engine. Use someone else's engine. Don't rule your own. Don't look at ours because we're not middleware developers. Look at someone who, like, that's all they do. Look at Unity. Look at Impact.js because that's all Dominic does now. He just works on that. You know, like, you want someone else working for you when it comes to your tools. Like, I don't think right. a lot of people who want to make games want to spend much time on their tools. Maybe they do, but I, I don't know I back when I was trying to figure out how to make games and how to, how to make that happen I spent tons of time on tools and that was all largely wasted I wish I could yeah. go back and spend that more on games
1: I could definitely see us picking up something like pixie or something that has like spine support and already has a WebGL backend and just you know other niceties that we want to add to our engine but don't have the time or inclination sure sure so anywho so, uh, if you have pre-ordered the weekly alpha
0: access, thanks a lot, and uh, hope you enjoy it. And we're going to have a whole ton of more changes for you next week, and we will also talk about those. Talk and about uh, the what? What? We'll talk about the updates.
1: Oh yeah! Yay! Change log.
0: Yeah, change log. So uh, I think that is it. For this episode unless you got anything else you want to add
1: um nope you can pre-order Cryptron at www.cryptron.com. check it out it's awesome we love it
0: yep more to come
1: see you next week
2: Josué. Jo-zu-e. Got it?